This episode brought to you by Audible, your audio book source with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. So don't wait. That's audibletrial.com slash sports for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? This is episode 34. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Now, as sports fans, many of us, we only see the end product. And that's the performance on the field or court or whatever the playing environment might be. And, you know, we never really get to see the grind that's associated with these athletes you know, behind the scenes and some of the people that they work with. And these people can be catalysts behind their training. But that's what we get to do in this episode as our guest is Tony Villani, founder and owner of XPE Sports, who has trained hundreds of professional athletes, helping them achieve their peak performance. But before we move to the rich spotlight, I want to make sure any new listeners and remind everybody that all of our episodes can be found on our website, richtakeonsports.com, and you can subscribe directly from there to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and you can also find the podcast on iHeartRadio, and we're working on several other podcast platforms as well. And if Twitter is a source of news and updates for you, then please follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports as we continuously post updates, comments, opinions, and anything newsworthy there. And if you want to reach out directly through email, then please send a message to Richmond at richtakeonsports.com. All right, let's continue with episode 34 with our guest in the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. This episode, we get to spend time with Tony Villani, who is the founder and owner of XPE Sports, which stands for Extreme Performance Enhancement. It's based in Boca Raton, Florida, and now he has become one of the nation's best and most respected trainers for NFL combine training and all things speed and agility training. After graduating from Clemson University, Tony received his master's degree in exercise physiology from George Washington University and then spent time with the NHL's Washington Capitals and the NBA's Orlando Magic before he became the director of human performance at Pro Football Hall of Famer Chris Carter's FAST program. 
Then in 2002, he created XPE and has gone on to train over 100 players drafted in the NFL and over 20 first-round picks have been his clients. And Tony's become a guru for NFL combine training where we know shaving precious seconds from speed and agility drills can equate into millions of dollars for these football players. And he's been able to do it through his innovative training and also through the shred mill that he created, which is essentially a human-powered treadmill. Now, Tony and I actually went to Clemson together, and as life goes, people go their separate ways, and we got reconnected several years ago at, of all things, a mud run in Greenville, South Carolina, and I was blown away with what Tony was doing, and it was so fascinating to me because, as I mentioned earlier, he's one of those guys that you never hear about when you see these elite athletes on the TV screen. You don't know about their grind, but he's one of those guys that's there in the grind with them as they're trying to increase their peak performance. Now, these athletes don't just show up on game day and and then just play. There's actually a lot of work that goes into enhancing their performance during the offseason and even during the season. So when I started this podcast, I knew I wanted to have Tony as a guest and try to gain some insight on the other side of this so-called spotlight that we only see. And I know I can't wait to get Tony back on so I can spend more time with him and even learn more. I've always known that Tony was a great athlete, but I never knew why and what sports he fell in love with. Well, I mean, I got involved in sports, I think, like everybody. It was just their parents trying to keep their kids active. So my father actually played football at Duke, but never let me play football, which was kind of funny. And um, my best sport was probably basketball growing up. And I probably should have stuck with soccer. And I had to choose between basketball and soccer to play AAU and travel, and I chose basketball. And not many scholarships are going to a 5'8 white <laughs> point guard. So didn't really have any college offers. So, you know, decided to go to Clemson on a be a student and loved playing basketball and played pickup games and fight against all the football players and got my competitive juices there. But always wanted to be involved in sports. I always say I didn't want a quote-unquote real job at a desk or a suit and a tie. And went to Clemson after Clemson. I got into Georgia Washington University Graduate School. During there, I worked with the Washington Capitals interning. After I finished my master's degree, I went and worked in Orlando and got a job helping the Orlando Magic strength coach. And then, um, honestly, from playing basketball against some of the top football players at Clemson always and then working with the Magic and trying to compete with those guys in workouts because I always enjoyed doing the workouts with them while training them. I kind of found myself you know, somewhat athletic, so I could do the workouts, and that was fun to me. So my goal was to work in the basketball and work for an NBA team on a more full-time basis, but at that time, the owner of something called Chris Carter's Fast Program, of Chris Carter is now the Hall of Fame wide receiver. There was a job posting, and I talked to their owner, Bill Welly, and I got a job into speed and agility training mainly for football players and got in the private sector. Uh, that's where I learned more stuff there in three years than I learned at school or with any professional team. And from there, I started up my company, XP Sports, in 2002. So now, walking back uh, to your earlier days in growing up, so I just think it's fascinating to hear that your father played football at Duke, but then doesn't want you to play football. What was that like, and what was the reasoning behind that? Well, his knee was tore up from football, and, I mean, I was little. I was 5'8". 
and I hadn't really matured yet in high school. I was a late bloomer. So I was 5'8", probably 35 to 150 pounds in high school. Now I'm, you know, 5'8", 180, and it's not fat, but it's just a more mature body. A lot of people are 16-year-old in high school, and they've hit their spurt. I never did. My dad thought I would have got killed if I played football, so he didn't want me to play football. But it's, it's a funny question you ask because now with what's coming out about football, I mean, it was the right decision, and Friends I know that have played football are pretty beat up. And honestly, the NFL football players I know don't want their sons to play football. So kind of a hot subject and touchy subject right now. But, you know, I, I definitely understand why. And you don't want them to play football. And I, I don't know if I don't want them to play football either, to tell you truth. So then when you had to make the decision, soccer or basketball, what age was that? That was after I moved to Myrtle Beach. It was when I was about 14, and before I, before I left Virginia, I had a choice to be on a travel team for basketball, but I couldn't play soccer that year if I did that, and I chose basketball over soccer. Kind of now knowing what I know about physiology and the way the body's built, I'm like fast and quick, but I have much better endurance than speed and power, but I wasn't a sports physiologist back there, grooming athletes, so I didn't know better. Yeah, okay. That's right. That was later in life, right? Yeah. Then, so what was the motivation to go get your master's? I either wanted to be in sports or help kids. So, and my father and grandfather and uncle were, were all doctors. And so I thought I was going to want to be an orthopedic surgeon or a pediatrician. But my dad, honestly, kind of talked me out of going to med school just because of the way he saw where healthcare was going. The amount of money you're going to spend on medical school versus what you're going to make isn't going to be worth it. So he kind of told me at a young age, he advised me to try to get into a career I liked and that I could open up my own business in. So then it went into, I was kind of looking the physical therapy route, you know, eventually try to open up my own physical therapy clinic and work with athletes. But the more I did that, I, I didn't like that. That was dealing with too many injuries. And I really kind of got drawn to the working out part of athletes. And at that time it was called strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning was very new. And now, like, the whole strength and conditioning the past 10 years has really switched to buzzwords of speed, agility, and power training. So that's what I think. It kind of just just kind of turned into me being a speed and agility trainer, crazily enough, mostly for football. And that's what is very interesting, that you're in that dilemma. Guys are talking about not having their kids play football, but they're also the ones that know that this is a job for them and provides for their family, and you're helping them do that. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot more about, and the public doesn't want to hear it, but I'll say the struggles of the NFL football player more than other people. Believe me, I think there's a lot of spoiled brats out there that don't live their life right or in the NFL, but there's also a lot of guys out there that that don't make as much as the general public thinks. It's unguaranteed money. There's Mm -hmm. high injury risk. There's, it's, it's the toughest of the Amer- it's the lowest paid and the toughest of the American sports to play, yet it's the one that makes the most money and it's the most marketable. But it doesn't go to the athletes, unfortunately. Why I say that I would never play it or want my son to play it, I have a high amount of respect for those guys that do. So I try to help the ones that are worth helping as much as I can. Because you see the grind that they actually go through, right? Yeah, the general public sees all the call them the ESPN ticker salaries pop up. So they see the top 5% of the NFL salaries get redone. You know, they don't see that every NFL team brings in 90 guys for to start the NFL training camp, and none of those 90 guys get paid any of their salary, even though they sign a contract. 
And by the start of the season, in one week, it gets cut from 90 to 53. And 37 of the players that got cut never made the salary that they signed their, their contract for. It's a completely unguaranteed contract that gets ripped up unless you make the NFL team. It's very hard to make the NFL team. But, you know, the NFL needs preseason games and the NFL needs, you know, practice players for their starters. So, you know, you got to bring 90 people into an into a NFL team. Same reason why the college has, you know, 75 to 85 players. 75 to 85 aren't going to play, but you need 75 to 85 to hold good practices. So the NFL, you need 75 to 85 to hold good practices, so that's how many you bring to camp. Unfortunately, the bottom third of those people that go to camp honestly don't have a chance to make the NFL. And I agree with you that most people, they really don't understand that concept of the NFL. And, of course, as you mentioned, they only see the big contracts. Now, for your journey, how did it actually come about for you uh, to become involved with the Chris Carter Fast program? It was interesting because when I moved to Orlando, I kept contacting the strength and conditioning coach of the Magic, and I couldn't get in with them. And then they were playing a pickup basketball game. And Dr. J showed up. My team beat his. And then uh, when he started guarding me, my team beat his again. And I had to leave and do a personal training client. He told me I wasn't walking off that court until I came back on. So I just looked at him and I said, all right, well, if my team beats yours again, I need five minutes of your time. And he said, you got it. Now, he was older at the time. But it was fun, so my team beat his again. He said, what do you need? And I said, I have a master's degree. I've worked for the Washington Capitals. I'm trying to get in with the Magic. Can you help me? And he said, I definitely can. Call this guy Mick Smith. So that was back in the time you didn't have cell phones and all these numbers saved. So I went back home, and I looked at the conditioning coach's name I had written on a piece of paper and his phone number, and I looked at the phone number Dr. J gave me. It was the same exact phone number and guy. And I was like, ah, shoot, I've already been calling this guy. So I called him again, and then names up. Julius Irvin gave me your phone number and wanted me to call you, and he called me back the next day. And that's how I started working with him. And he told me what he wished he would have done because I wanted to be him. I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach yeah. in the NBA. And he told me the same story that my dad told me. He's like, he wished he would have been younger and started up his own business. So, you know, I was making decent money for a mid-20-year-old in Orlando and getting experience with the Orlando Magic. But a job posting on Chris Carter's Fast program came up, and it was literally me making half the amount of money. But the owner, Bill Welly, did such a good job on selling me that I decided to take that job for a lot less. But it was a great decision because I did learn more there than I learned there. And it was it was great. So we learned a lot in three years. Chris Carter was basically retiring, and the program was I, I thought was going to fizzle out uh, with Chris Carter retiring. So yeah. I tried to keep it as as uh, professional as I could, and I moved to Atlanta and started up my own business. So then, what was that like? Was there just a one day? It was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm moving to a new location, start my company, or was this a six month process that you were going through, and then finally made the decision? Me and the own the part owner of Chris Carter's Fast Program, he kind of knew I maybe was getting frustrated. And like the way this business works, a lot of athletes didn't want to be training in Boca Raton. One wanted to be in Jacksonville. One wanted to be in Orlando. Uh, Randy Moss wanted to go start up his own thing. And one of the good athletes wanted to be – another top athlete wanted to be in Atlanta. 
basically asked me what I wanted to move to Atlanta, and he made me an offer I couldn't refuse him and get all the startup money to start my own business. So I just moved to Atlanta, basically about a year cushion, and instead of using that money to buy a car or or anything, I kind of used it to buy equipment and secured a lease on a gym and then just kind of paid myself about one quarter of what he gave me and tried to see if I could start my own business. I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. It was a lot harder, but, and then just kind of grew it from there. Yeah. So what were some of the struggles early on starting out? I mean, just learning how to be a businessman. It's hard. Like there's a lot of stuff. People, when they start their own businesses, I mean, you hear about it with, I don't know, two thirds fail within the first three years, you know, it's just hard. So as an employee and a trainer of a company, you always think you're underpaid. When you're a business owner, you always think you're overpaying people. <laughs> so I know how both sides are, but being a business owner and being the trainer and running both of those is hard, very hard. That's what I just had to overcome and just kind of learn as I go. And I was always told, don't let, you know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Hopefully your wins can overtake the mistakes you make, but you're going to make mistakes. I, I mean, I made a lot of them. Well, that is true with any business owner, to your point, has definitely made mistakes. So when was it that you felt that this is it, this is moving in the right forward motion, so to speak, that this is picking up steam, this is going to be a successful business, I'm really getting better at this? Was there some moment um, that that happened? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to work with Jamal Lewis okay. when I was in Boca, Chris Carter's SAS program, so... He was in Atlanta when I moved to Atlanta with another athlete, but he was coming off a second year where he tore his ACL and was fat and out of shape. And he ended up through athletes finding out I was in Atlanta. And I pulled up to the gym one day I was training, and he was, I called it his fat butt was just sitting there. And he said he needed to, he needed to train. And I was like, great, let's go. And he's like, what are you going to charge me? And I said, absolutely nothing. But, Let's prove that this stuff can work. And uh, he said, sure. And that year, he ended up going for like 1,300 yards, fifth in the NFL in rushing and comeback player of the year. So I was happy. And that year, Heinz Ward started training with me before he was like Heinz Heinz Ward. He made a couple of pro bowls then. So we had a, a stable of about six to eight NFL players. And then the next year, Jamal Lewis just broke on the scene like, I mean, I've never seen in third or fourth game of the year, he had 295 yards rushing, you know, and then he went on to go for 2,000 yards and be league MVP. And I remember talking to him. I was like, uh, you remember the deal we had where I wasn't charging you for training, but I was allowed to market you with whatever I do. And he's, I said, is that still the deal? And he said, yeah, you better be marketing that. So kind of the relationship started and started picking up more and more players. And, and you know, I, I mean, I attribute a lot of it to Jamal just doing so well. But you obviously helped him get back into shape and be ready to take advantage of the opportunity that presented him. So a lot of it does go back to you. What's the decision to actually pick up and move and go to Florida then? Because it seems like things are going really well for you. I always wanted to end up in Florida, but I also didn't want to go back down there and, and uh, compete with a company that I like once worked for in the area. But I always thought I'd end up in Florida three, four, five years down the road. But you're right, XD kept growing. 
So it never presented its chance. And then a bad business decision had me move to Florida. Basically, I kind of bit off more than I could chew in Atlanta and bought out some competitors and brought in business partners and, you know, tried to make the big change from being a, a trainer doing a little bit of business to owning a multi-facility business and still doing the training and I couldn't handle it. So I, uh, I basically just exited out of the business that I started in Atlanta and, you know, kept my trademarks and name with me and just restarted it over in Florida. That time, Chris Carter's fast program had dissolved about three or four years before that. So a lot of the contacts I had, even from seven years prior, were still in South Florida. So I just moved back to the same exact location and started back up. And so it, even in Atlanta, it was XPE Sports, Explosive Performance yes. Enhancement. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then you, so. just, you just moved that down to Florida, pick up the your name and, and start over. Now, how was that process starting over in Florida, or was it really a start over? It was definitely a start over, but what was becoming apparent in our business is how much, how popular the NFL Combine was getting. This was about in 2009. It was televised for the first year in 2008. I was lucky enough to have my best year in 2008, or one of my best years, or the best year at that time. I had three top 15 picks in the draft, and the whole NFL combine training business started to explode across America, not just me. So it kind of set it up to move from Atlanta to South Florida because most of these college kids would rather be in South Florida than Atlanta during January and February. So that timed up for me. Another thing that's just timed up for me is Clemson had a lot of prospects coming out that year, and so did Tennessee. In both schools, I was from Clemson, and... Tennessee, I always did good with Jamal Lewis and everybody they sent me. So I started out my first year back down in Florida and had 12 draft picks and 10 of them were for Clemson and Tennessee. And that one was Eric Berry. Another was Jacoby Ford that, you know, was the fastest receiver ever when he ran that at Indy. So like that 2010 year just put me right back on the map in Florida and I really didn't miss a beat. And obviously, there's many things in life. It's about timing, and so timing was working in your favor at that point. And then now, is it about this time where the shred mill comes into it? And ex- explain what the shred mill is. Yeah, well, starting about 2011, and you really want to develop power when you run, and, and it's much better if you move the belt instead of the belt moving and you floating on top of it. So I kind of developed a treadmill that you would have to push the belt to move. And it would tell you how many miles per hour you're going, but you were the motor on the on the treadmill, like it didn't have a motor. And uh, you know, I started out and we created one, and I started to have guys try to run 30 seconds to a minute on it, and they would pass out and they would die. And I was like, <laughs> this isn't a treadmill. It's a, it's a shredmill. Like, this is not like anything you've ever done. So we've made a, not many changes to it, but we've definitely made it a lot smoother and, and better and, so it started in 2011. I want to say, you know, we trademarked it soon after that and got a provisional patent. But we got it patented by the United States and Trademark Office on 19 claims. And we got that patent back in 2015. So it was about a three-year process. Yeah. And then we've been selling it to schools and teams and different trainers across America about the past three years. And what are the bigger plans with this? It, a consumer version of, you know, having other yeah. trainers use this in their facilities? 
what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were lucky enough to have Clemson be the first school to use it, and they went on to have tremendous success. And it's not because of the treadmill, but just the fact that I like to say that they were more forward-thinking than any other college and saw that implementing speed training inside the weight room is important to them. So the fact that they used it is great. So they use it. Um, recently, we just, the L.A. Rams are using one. Uh, the Houston Texans are getting one sent to them. University of Alabama is getting one sent to them. I want to say Ohio State maybe soon, so we'd have three of the four teams in the college playoff using it. So we have a consumer version that's awesome, that honestly the Texans and love more than the super-duper version that Clemson has, the XL version. So I think both work very well, um, and we're going to kind of see where it goes hopefully the next few years. And is there, again, an opportunity where – you have a master training program for other trainers to, you know, be certified how to use the shred mill in their programs. Yeah, we're starting. To, we're going to relaunch that. That kind of fell by the wayside a little bit the past two years. When I've been busy with other things, but we're kind of launching a program for trainers nationwide and facilities nationwide where they can buy a shred mill and, you know, learn the same speed and agility progressions that we use at our XD facilities and. You know, and they can call themselves XCE master trainers if okay. they go to a certain uh, program, or they can actually have their facility powered by XPE Sports, or so be a licensed XPE treadmill facility. And then, so what's the next thing on the horizon? Then, even bigger than that for XPE, multiple locations, other states. Yeah, I mean, we're opening up another facility in Fort Lauderdale, which is about 20 minutes south of us. That's in a high traffic area, it's going to be kind of like the commercialized version of XB, where it's more open to the public. Our current facility in Boca is more private for pro athletes, and we do train some people. And we're trying to get, secure a third location in Florida in conjunction with like a, a all-inclusive vacation villa, club med type style, where they have an academy of a hundred kids, and we would try to do a school approach there. So. Those are the big things that we're trying to do now and get going. Now, I know in your position, you have a job to do, but there's also this component of these are famous athletes coming in and calling you and wanting to be trained. Are there times when, even early on, I guess, maybe more so that you were awestruck by some of the professional athletes that you were working with? Well, I was kind of a little awestruck when I was with the Magic, honestly, because I was such a basketball fan. And once I became working out, working out with him, it honestly it was fun because I was trying to beat him at drills. So okay. <laughs> I kind of quit being awestruck. But then when I started working at Chris Carter's fast program, I was awestruck again because I walked into a room that would have Chris Carter and Randy Moss, and kind of awestruck. But then once when you start the way we train is you're training, you're training them and and scripting everything, but you're having to do the drills with them. Where's also but. You still get it. I mean, I still pinch myself all the time. To me, Anton Bolden is the most normal person I've ever met, which makes him the most special NFL player I've ever met. But when you get to know him in your every day for two or three hours, he's just a normal dude. So I, I kind of laugh at that. Uh, Darrell Reeves started training with us this year, and it's kind of like, you know, it's cool. I like, wow, this great DB that I don't know actually sought our program out to come learn how to be better. So, you know, you're kind of like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. 
it wears off once when you start training. I understand. Well, that still is a big compliment, though. So with the focus on football players, is there an opportunity, though, for you to look at opportunities of focusing on basketball players with their need for explosiveness? Yeah. We got into basketball in Atlanta before I left, but we've been so busy down here. But recently, the guy who gave me my job at Chris Carter's Fast Program has moved down to Boca and like we've repartnered up, so now he's a part owner of XPE, and he just started up this year, and it allowed us to start doing NBA combine training. So definitely a way to do that, but I'm going to kind of stick to with players in other sports. Okay. Well, Tony, I can't thank you enough for your time, and I know we're wrapping up here, but I, I do just want to see if there's an opportunity where you can kind of summarize, if you can, and what sports has meant in your life and the life lessons that you've been able to learn from sports. Sports is just amazing for anyone because it just teaches you about life. That, you know, that's why I love still being involved in sports, even though I'm not a coach. It's like you're involved in sports and trying to make a difference in people's lives, and that's what I enjoy. Well, and the last thing that I'll ask, Tony, is I, I ask this from everybody. If you have any words of wisdom that you would like to share to the listeners, any you know, phrase, quote, you know, motto, or anything that – has been impactful in your life, and it doesn't have to be a specific phrase, but just some words of wisdom that you would like to share that means a lot to you. I always like that. I forget how to say it perfectly, but it's basically saying to quit, quit being conceited because I just think you got to stay humble and realize that, like, no matter, I mean, me, I think I'm, people call it lucky or blessed, depends on what you believe in, but I believe I've been very both to be where I'm at, so there's no reason to be conceited or anything about it. Just try to stay humble and help others with it so if you're if you're getting praise from from a bunch of people sometimes it's it's the worst kind if you can't deal with it I, I think you've been blessed and then also taken advantage of opportunities presented in front of you and that's what this is all about is taking advantage of that and uh, I know you're going to continue doing great things and I definitely appreciate your time today all right thanks Richie as I mentioned, Tony is a must for me to bring back and spend more time with him as he's truly become one of the most trusted trainers regarding speed and agility because the results speak for themselves. Now, these elite athletes aren't going to spend their time and money for something that just doesn't make them better. They only want to spend time and money for improving their performance because they know that can ultimately lead to a better contract for them. And I thought it was amazing that he tells Jamal Lewis that I'll train you for free and let's just see what happens. And that showed me two things. One, that Tony believed in his training methods and two, that it wasn't all about the money for him. And he actually continued that type of mindset when he got to Florida, even at times providing free training for high school athletes and not only athletic performance training, but also help with improving grades and test scores so they could be in a better position to actually be eligible to receive athletic scholarships. And that's just his mindset. And there's just a laundry list of athletes that Tony has trained. And again, it's a testament to his results that each year more and more NFL prospects and players seek him out. Now, make sure you check out XPE Sports and The Shred Mill by visiting their website, xpesports.com. And you can also follow XPE on Twitter 
at XPE underscore sports or follow Tony on Twitter as well at Tony Villani XPE. And I keep telling Tony that I want to go to Boca and test out the shred mill. So maybe I can save that for an upcoming episode, but I'm just not sure I'll actually survive the shred mill. And by the way, that mud run we ran together a few years ago, Tony crushed it for our team that day. So no doubt he practices what he preaches. Now, time to finish this episode with the weekly words of wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. Continuing on the theme of being humble that Tony talked about, we'll focus on humility. And this quote is from an unknown author as we finish this episode. And this quote emphasizes how easy it can be at times in our lives to cross that line where your confidence can be perceived into arrogance and cockiness. It's a very simple quote, but it resonates extremely well, especially in today's society, with so many things being a competition. And I'm not just talking about sports. I'm talking about just competition in life. My car's better than yours. I've got to have a bigger house. I deserve this or that. And people can see through that really fast, so humility is definitely something to focus on. And the quote is, there's a thin line between confidence and arrogance. It's called humility. Confidence smiles while arrogance smirks. And it's real easy to move to that arrogant side. And it's not necessarily a bad thing if you do at times. But the key is don't stay there in that arrogant slot. And to make sure you spend your time truly being humble. Episode 34 is now complete. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 